the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 945. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Today we want to share with you a, a framework of what revival is really all about. There's a difficulty that I have as I come day by day because I don't know who's listening and I don't have a regular listening audience every day to pick up the sequential steps of coming close to the Lord and walking with him. That means that I have to day by day come with a proclamation of repentance and revival. But we'd like to lay out a, an understanding of what that framework should look like and how we're going to walk in it so that you can understand some of you in feedback have said, Pastor, sometimes you seem condemning. Well, my cry and my heart is to bring the word of God to you, straight, plain, but with love and compassion. But I want to see a change. I want to see concrete action change in your life so that you no longer walk in the sin and the wickedness of this world. I want you to go to heaven. And so, yes, there are times when I have to presuppose that you're backslidden and address and exhort and call you to repent. So I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, Woodbridge, Virginia. With me today in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. We're glad you're here, and we both say welcome. Now let's pray. Lord, as we come to this time today, we're going to talk about some things that I pray you will use to make plain to those listening the course that is necessary for them to walk and the understanding necessary for them to have if they are going to come fully into the kingdom of heaven and walk in righteousness and be washed by the blood and be saved. For you said that many will try to enter and will not be able to. You said that five would be foolish and would be shut out of the kingdom. Lord, would you make plain today to each person listening where they're at with you in concrete terms. Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So, Alexandra, let's begin today by talking about the three parts of the framework for revival. Yes. So, if you have been listening to this radio program, you are probably aware that we have recently begun holding revival meetings at the All Saints Church in Woodbridge. And we are putting together a revival movement called Revival Now, which is why you've been hearing revivalnow.church on this broadcast. So as we've really started to practically attempt to promote a revival, we've had to think about what are, you know, wh how does this work? And what we have found is that the way we're approaching it is in three basic phases. So the first phase is that if we need revival, revival presupposes 
that the church is backslidden. So a lot of Christians will say, yes, we need revival. We need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. They'll have, they have a sense that there's something missing. Well, the reason there's something missing is because there's sin in the church. So either that means either the people in the church have never been converted or they were once converted, but they have now backslidden, meaning they have taken back that total devotion to God. They have perhaps gone even back into gross sin. Um, but they may still be attending church. They may still be regularly going to the church facility, but they have lost their first love, as Jesus says in Revelation. So in the first phase, we come to the church and we say, these are the sins that we see in this particular church. And that is a lot of what Ray, Pastor Ray has been doing in this broadcast. Is he saying, these are the particular sins I've seen in Washington, D.C. And there's a call now to repent. And then there, there comes a choice that you have to make. Will you repent or will you not repent? And for those who do repent, we can then move into the second phase with those people, which is... The revival meetings now take on more of a teaching nature where the Christians are being equipped and trained and educated so that they can be soul winners because Jesus gave the Great Commission to every Christian. So every Christian has the duty to win souls for Jesus, but we can't enter into that if we haven't first repented. You may know people who try to do this and it's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen is a person who is inviting people to their home, having Bible studies, and yet they are cheating on their spouse or doing something horrendous. So you can't just skip step one and go to step two. So then what happens is these you now have an army of Christians who are able to lead people into the kingdom. And so now the revival meetings, this is the third phase, the revival meetings can really become evangelistic outreach meetings. So think about, you probably know at least 10 or 20 people who aren't Christians, who don't even make a profession of faith. Probably if you include your workplace, your family members, people you see at the gym, people you see where you go to eat regularly, your students, if you're a teacher, your classmates. You probably know at least 20 people who aren't saved. So if the church is awake and free from sin and educated, then every one of you is able to go and reach those people. And many of them, we hope, would come to the meeting. And if you aren't able to get them to the meeting, at least you're trained that you can share the gospel with them outside of the meeting. But those who do come to the meeting, what you now have is really an evangelistic proclamation of the gospel. And you have a number of Christians who are able to help those who come and are convicted of their sin. And they say, what do I do? How do I get to Jesus? What do I have to do to be saved? Well, now you're in a position where you can actually pray with them. You can help them if they're struggling with a particular misunderstanding of doctrine, something that's blocking them from the kingdom. 
So that's the overall frame of where we're trying to go with revival. But we don't want to get stuck on phase one and then never move into phase two and three. Well, let's also be very clear that we know that these three parts of revival must move under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There is no revival without Holy Spirit presence and power. But he doesn't just come and suddenly everything is changed. Yes, God doesn't just wave a magic wand without us doing anything. No, we prepare for that revival. We actively make amends and repent for all known sin. We begin to understand our role. One man said to me who would consider himself a wonderful Christian, I've never brought anyone to Jesus. It's not my job. Well, he's a man in utter ignorance. He thinks it's a pastor's job or some extrovert's job. He doesn't see that it's his job under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring the lost to Jesus. But this brings up a more painful issue, Alexandra, and that is that churches today are not an army. They have become an event. Yes. And if it's convenient, I'll attend the event. If it's not convenient, I'll go do whatever I'm supposed to do. It's okay whether I go or don't go. Now, another part of that picture, a painful part of that picture, is when you speak to a radio listening audience or you speak to a church and you call them to repent and they say, who do you think you are? I'm not sinning. I'm fine. But all the evidence is they're not fine at all. The very fact that they would respond in this manner suggests that they are in fact dead in their sin. So dead they don't even know what their sin is. And they need to be revived. But they're angry because you're speaking these words to them. That's why I've been sharing with you out of the book of John the very difficult conversations Jesus was having with the people. They were they were saying to Jesus, Who do you think you are? God? Yes, he is God. They were offended by his calling them to repent. It's important to mention here that to be saved doesn't just mean the absence of doing things that are really bad. So to be saved means we're, we're dedicating everything we have and everything we are to the service of God. And that's not just some intellectual thing. I was reading, I think it was something related to that Alpha course. I forget which website it was, but it was a blog about how can you be a Christian in your workplace. And one of the things they suggested was, oh, just clean up the dirty dishes that your coworkers leave in the sink. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to be a Christian witness. You're not going to be a light if that's the extent of your Christian witness. So you need to actually take up as your life work the work of winning souls, of ending the horrendous sins that are rampant in our culture. We just had on last Friday Lauren Handy 
So that's one example of how a Christian has taken up a, the war on sin. So if you're a Christian, your commission is to fight against sin, not just in your own life, but in society at large. So if you're going to pray, if you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and you're going to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then you need to live in a way that shows that you actually mean that when you pray it. So what does that mean? Well, is there sin in heaven? No. So if God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, and you really want that, then that means you're not going to passively tolerate sin. But you're going to use the talents that God has given you to end sin in whatever way you can. A government worker said to me, I'm concerned about my workmates, and I want them to come to Jesus. And I said, well, what are you doing about it? And he said, I'm just living my life as a Christian. And they're going to look at me, and they're going to ask me questions about why I'm living this way. And so I said to him, he'd worked in the government for over 20 years. I said to him, how many people have asked you any questions about the way you live? And how many people have you brought to Jesus by the manner in which you've lived? He looked puzzled for a minute, and then he said, well, no one. I said, well, maybe it's because you're living like the world, and they don't see any difference between their life and your life. Maybe you need to look at the sin in your heart and let the real behavior of Jesus begin to pour into your life. And then maybe you need to begin to speak to them and confront their sin. Well, pastor, I can't do that. I'm afraid to do that. Well, there's a man who needs revival. So would you like to go a little bit more in depth into what revival is? Yes, let's do. Okay. So as we mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about phase one, so revival in and of itself, it presupposes that the church has backslidden and is in some kind of sin. So revival is the return of the church from that backsliding. And revival also includes the conversion of sinners. So we would say the salvation of the lost. So in a revival, there's always conviction of sin on the part of the church. So you can't just wake up and immediately enter the service of God without first going through a deep examination of your own heart and really, as the scripture says, breaking up your fallow ground. So the sin of your heart needs to be broken up. So in a true revival you as a Christian would be brought under a sense of conviction in which you see your sin in a light where you say I can't continue living this way and be acceptable to God. So if you listen to yesterday's broadcast, this was one example of somebody who went through this. We read the story of Pastor John Mulindi from Uganda and he was ministering, he had started three churches, he was performing miracles, but he was having hidden fantasies about women. He was 
secretly ministering because he wanted to please people instead of pleasing God. And he didn't think that these were major things. But then when he began to enter a state of revival, he saw these things the way God sees them. And it broke him down to tears. And he began to, he went to a mountain and began to cry out for mercy. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Okay, before we go further with what a revival is, let's talk about when is a revival needed in a church? How, what are the signs in your own life and in the church that a revival is needed? And I'll tell you why I'm saying this. I come day after day, and you come with me often. We speak a very straight word, but then the people who are listening go back to their own home churches and there, the conviction that was created is utterly put away by, as I like to say, the big St. Bernard pastor slurping over everybody saying, everything's fine, you're okay, Jesus loves you just the way you are, unconditional love, you're on your way to heaven, and all of that conviction that you got during the week on Pilgrim's Progress is suddenly blown away. So let's ask the question, when is a revival needed? And the first sign that a revival is needed when there is a lack of love in your church. I don't mean social love. I mean self-sacrificing love for each other. Not where you say, oh, how are you, John, as you go to your regular pew and he goes to his and where you shake hands at the point in the service where the pastor says, now go greet somebody and say the peace of God be with you. I don't mean that kind of friendliness, that kind of love. I mean the kind of love that pours out your heart for another person in caring for them, in looking out for their interest. Yes, and this love also includes confidence. So the only reason that we wouldn't have confidence in a brother or a sister is because we don't think we can trust them. And that's because we think that if we really tried to trust them in a time of need, that they might leave us. They might blow out on us. So that in and of itself is a sign that revival is needed in your church. And a sign of revival being needed is when the people say, this church isn't safe. What do they mean? They mean we're not telling each other the truth in Jesus about our true heart condition and we're beginning to build up in our heart resentments and accusations and we're beginning to separate in our own spirit from brothers and sisters from the pastor. Revival is needed in that church. Absolutely. Now, there's also a sign that revival is needed when there's dissensions that begin to break out in the church. When jealousies and evil speaking among those who call themselves Christians, where slandering begins to happen, where people begin to speak lies. I've experienced this. Or they even may be speaking the truth, but they're speaking it in a way where they're trying to misrepresent somebody or trying to damage someone's reputation. So if this is going on in your church, if you if you know that in your church 
you go on a Sunday and then maybe there's some fellowship time. But during the fellowship time, people are speaking badly about others in the church. Then that's a sign that revival's needed. Or if after church, a certain group of people swing over to a set of cars and they stand and they talk to each other, but they don't talk to anybody else, and you begin to get cliques forming and social cliques forming that become gossip hubs and slander hubs, you need a revival in your church. Yes. When there's a worldly spirit in the church, it's manifest that the church has sunk down into a low and backslidden state when you see Christians conform to the world in dress, in the enviable, my car's better than your car, parties, seeking social amusements, reading novels, everyone's talking about the latest football game, everybody's talking about the television shows, they're inviting each other to go to movies with them, you suddenly recognize that in the reading of novels, the, the video games. Games on your cell phone. And, and we sat in a church recently and watched as some of the children, through the church service, sat playing their video games on their cell phones. A sure sign of total backslidden condition in that church. Yes. But if you... If you speak to people about that, you're likely to be rebuffed. And people refuse holiness. They refuse revival. And that church continues and will become increasingly dead. And finally, Jesus will remove his lampstand from that church. And it collapses on itself. That's happening right now in the Episcopal Church. It's beginning to happen in the Methodist Church the same course. It's happened time after time. As the church becomes more worldly, as they engage in all of the activities, can you believe? It just astonishes me. And when I say this, you're going to say, come on, pastor. Churches actually have concerts in their sanctuary where they charge tickets for admission. What are they? The theater? The Kennedy Center? I mean, I'm astonished that we have sunk so low. Revival is desperately needed in our churches and with our pastors. So let's talk a little bit more about what is backsliding. I don't want to just use this term and then you say, well, I don't really know what backsliding is. Uh, so we'll just do a few, this isn't going to be exhaustive, but we'll just go through a few brief examples of backsliding. So as I said earlier, backsliding consists in taking back the consecration to God that you made when you were converted. So when you were converted, if you were truly converted, you gave everything to Jesus. You devoted the rest of your life to him, all of your money all of your energy, all of your talents, you gave it to Jesus. But if you backslidden, you have taken back that consecration to God. You may still be going to church every Sunday. You might be leading 
a Sunday school, you might be leading a, a home group or a Bible study, but you have actually backslidden. Jesus calls this leaving our first love. He said that to the church at, at Ephesus. Another way of saying is that you have withdrawn yourself from being in a state of entire devotion to God. And now you're under the control of a self-pleasing spirit. So there are some evidences that you have done this. One example is a formality in your religious devotions. So you may still pray, but when you pray, it's cold, it's, it's very formal. You might say the same things over and over. You might say, well, I'm just going to read from my prayer book, but I'm not really going to think about what I'm saying. Um, you may have stopped praying entirely, which is definitely a sign of backsliding, but I'm trying to show that you can still maintain these religious exercises even though you've taken back that consecration to God. When you're moving mainly by habit mm -hmm. and not with any fiery warmth and zeal for Jesus. Yes. So if in your prayer life you're not really moved with feeling, then that's a sign of backsliding. Another sign is that you don't enjoy religious activity. So we always enjoy doing things that are pleasing to those who we love. So for example, if you love your spouse, then you'll enjoy doing things for your spouse, even if you don't like the particular activity. So you might not like doing laundry, but you know that it makes your spouse really happy to do the laundry, and so you get a kind of pleasure out of doing it. Um, that's just a simple example. But what I'm trying to sh show is that when we are really in communion with God, when we really love him, then we enjoy all of our religious activity. So we enjoy witnessing. We enjoy sharing the gospel. We enjoy reading the Bible. We enjoy praying. We enjoy going to church. Um, not only enjoy, mm -hmm. it's our first love. Right. So it's not hard. You and when the church doors open, we're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to show up early. You want to see how you can help. You want to know how you can give more. It's hard to stop a Christian from giving. You tell them to stop giving because you're concerned and they just keep giving. That's a good sign. It's a bad sign if you say, oh, it's so hard, I can't be there that early, I overslept. It's too hard to obey Jesus. That's a sign of backsliding. Another sign that you've backslidden is that you're serving God because you know you're supposed to and not because you actually have a heart in it. So this is a kind of religious bondage where it's, it's almost like slavery, where you're saying, well, I know I can't leave the faith, because I know it's true, but I don't really want to be here. That's like being married and saying, all right, I'll love you because I have to, but I don't like you, and I don't want to spend time with you. And so you more and more create your own private life. I see Christians doing this all the time. I hear, it's too hard to serve Jesus. It's a burden. That person is backslidden. Another sign of backsliding is having a bad temper or temper that's difficult to control. So the reason for this is if your heart is full of the love of God, you will naturally 
be sh be have that love flowing out of you so even if you're provoked and you might have you know a sensation of anger you won't give way to it you won't act on it if you are right with god but if you find yourself flying off the handle or having an outburst of rage perhaps at a small thing perhaps at a large thing but you're not able to control your temper then that's then that's a sure sign that you need revival because you've backslidden also a spirit of uncharitableness not willing to just abundantly give not willing to pour out what i have in love for another person and what happens in this is that i'll hear something and immediately put an interpretation upon it that is negative i'll imagine the worst and that gives way to gossip and finally that will give place to lies as someone comes forward with information quote unquote i have the goods on him well perhaps it's all lies i've seen people actually leave a church because they believe slander and lies and they've never cared enough to go find out if that was the truth they just believed someone who had an evil heart. Yes, yeah, so just to clarify, so Christian love or charity, it isn't just giving things, but it is a disposition, it's a way of thinking where if you hear something, you say, okay, well, what is the best possible situation that this could be? You don't assume the worst, you assume the best until you can get more information. Now, we've mentioned this one before, Alexander, and that is when the word begins to come to repent, instead of repenting comes a censorous spirit, a spirit of criticism, a spirit of judgment, like what right do you have to say that to me? I'm okay. Our church is okay. How dare you speak this way about us? You know you need a revival when there is a, a fault-finding spirit, a, a critical spirit, a, a spirit of defensiveness, a spirit of, of harsh sayings, of harsh judgments, manifestations of uncomfortable feelings toward individuals where you just cut them off and say, I can't walk with you. If this is how you are, I can't walk with you. Well, that person is in desperate need of revival. They have lost their first love. They are a professor of religion without knowing Jesus Christ. Another sign that you need revival is if you have a lack of interest in reading the Bible. This is probably obvious, um, but it, we, it needs to be said. So, the Bible is the it's it's like the guidebook for the Christian life. And so, if you're gonna have any kind of successful Christian life, you need to be reading the Scriptures. But more than that, if you really cherish God, 
you'll you'll want to be spending time saying well what does god think how does god view this what does god think about what's happening in my church what does god think about what's happening in america what does god think about what's happening in my family or in my marriage and you're only going to find that out through scripture and prayer so if you find yourself you know going days weeks months not reading the scriptures or if you're just going through a reading plan and if someone were to ask you you know one or two hours later what did you read today or what have you been reading and you you can't even tell them what you just read that's a that's a sure sign that you need revival but if you ask them what happened in the vikings game what happened in the patriot game and you can spend a great deal of time talking about that it's clear that your interest is in the world and not in Jesus Christ and part of what I've seen in my own life as I began to grow many years ago in this I would sit down to read the scriptures and I would fall asleep now I could study the scriptures to prepare a sermon But if I sat down just to read the scriptures, to sit in the presence of Jesus and let him minister to my heart, I was promptly asleep. Well, that's when the Lord said to me, turn your television off. And I believe today he would say, turn your YouTube videos off. Turn off the things of the world. You see, your mind is seared by all of the input from the world so that you have no interest in the reading of scripture. I literally, Alexander, had to get up and walk around the living room and read the scriptures aloud until they finally began to come alive to me as I pleaded with Jesus to open his word, to send his Holy Spirit, to teach me what he was speaking to me. But if I'd sit down and watch an hour of television. I was back in total limbo on the scriptures. You cannot read the word of God and watch the television. The other thing that can happen is if you begin to feel conviction and you don't actually confess that and and deal honestly with God, you will want to stop reading the Bible because what will happen is you'll read and you will feel more conviction, but you don't have any faith to believe the promises of God, and that will drive you away from the scriptures. If you're going through that, then that's a sure sign that you have backslidden. Let me give you our phone number in studio. Are you backslidden today? What would you like to share? 877-534-0780 We would love to talk with you. We have time for a number of phone calls. You're welcome to call right now. Brother Kevin will answer your call, and he'll put you through to us. Don't call and talk foolishness, though. Don't call and want to talk about something off-topic. We're dealing today with revival, with the need for revival, what it means to be backslidden, because we're serious about a change needing to take place in the church in Washington, D.C. So call now, 877-534-0780.
Let's just briefly go through a couple more examples. Um, so if you have a lack of interest in seeing people saved and seeing people converted, that's definitely a sign of backsliding because Jesus came with the express purpose of saving men and women. So if you don't have any interest in saving men and women, then you are out of step with God's heart. Can I put something else in? Mm -hmm. If you are not winning people to Jesus by your testimony, you are backslidden. Now that sounds hard, but it's real. It's either the lack of power of the Spirit in your life or a lack of understanding or you've just blown off your responsibility as a soul winner. Jesus had only one commission and that was to become fishers of men. There isn't any other commission in the scripture. Now there are pastors and prophets and all of the different gifts of the spirit but all of that is to strengthen the church for their work of winning the lost to Jesus Christ and ministering to their needs. So related to this, if you have a lack of interest in reading about revival, that is also a sign of backsliding. So either revivals of the past in America or revivals that are happening right now around the world, a lack of interest in missionary work. These are all signs that you have left the heart of God. And I say, a, you can say a loss of interest in this case because at one point, if you were converted, you did have this interest. So if you remember, yes, when I first came to Jesus, I really was zealous. I wanted to share the gospel with everyone I met. I was reading on the internet and I was watching YouTube videos about you know, the underground church in China and revival. But now I don't do any of that stuff. Now, you know, I'm too tired. I just want to rest. That's a sign of backsliding. And you know that. You know in your conscience that you used to have a fire for God that you don't have anymore. So that's a sign that you need revival. And that fire for God is usually replaced with a love for the world or a spirit of anger, a spirit of condemnation toward others, a spirit of judgment, a spirit of pride, ambition, and all of this causes a person to walk in another very clear sign of the need for revival, a sign that you're backslidden, and that is you no longer spend that time in the prayer closet in secret prayer with Jesus. You don't go and wait in his presence anymore. You don't spend the hours waiting on Jesus, crying out to him, praying to him and asking him to deal with your heart, to move in power, claiming the promises of scripture. According to Second Peter, we enter into the divine nature via the promises of God. Those are only activated in the prayer closet. They're not activated anywhere else. Now on the subject of prayer, I think this is an, an perhaps unexpected but very telling sign. So if you are praying but you're in a backslidden state, your prayers will be focused mostly on yourself. 
and perhaps for those people who are most close to you. So your prayers perhaps are timid and hesitating and they reveal that you have little or no faith in the promises of scripture. So instead of surrounding the throne of grace and pouring out your hearts for a blessing on those around you, you have to be urged up to do your duty to take up your cross. Instead of spontaneously gushing out to God in prayer, you'll have very little concern for others. You might pretend to lead in a prayer, but you're really just praying for yourself, but using more general terms. So you might be praying as if you're praying for sinners, but you're really praying about yourself. And basically what ends up happening is you're praying for your own conversion, but you're not actually admitting that that's what you're praying for. So it's kind of tricky, but I urge you to think about and to pay attention to if you are praying, what are you saying in your prayers? Are you praying as if you're a convicted sinner? Or are you praying as if you're a saint who has standing with God and you're attacking the gates of hell? Again, that asks the question, are your prayers answered? If there's not a, an answer in the physical realm, if it does not bring change to your life and to your heart, there's a problem. And you need to look at that. Again, our phone number in studio, we have a minute or two to talk and to pray with somebody if you'd like to, 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call right now. We're here for you. This broadcast is for you. It's not for us. It's because Jesus loves you enough to provide this exhortation, this call, to be revived. So in our, in our final few minutes here, I want to move on. There's a few more signs that revival is needed. So we've covered a lack of Christian love and confidence. We've covered dissensions, jealousy, evil speaking in the church. We've covered backsliding in the church. Another sign that revival is needed is when people in the church begin to fall into very severe and scandalous sins. So fornication living with someone you're not married to, having children out of wedlock, having an abortion. These are very severe sins. And if this is happening in your church, your church desperately needs revival. Another sign that revival is needed in your church is if there's controversy. Now, this is also true that revival is needed in the church if there's controversy generally in the culture. But I suspect that in your church there is likely controversy. In other words, people are at odds with each other and refuse to reconcile. Or they feel like they can't reconcile. And so there's just divisions and splits. Another sign that we need revival is that the wicked, so those who are living in sin, who make no profession of faith, Many of these people, if you speak to them, they have a very low opinion of the church. They'll speak very badly of the church. They'll accuse Christians of being hypocrites. They'll speak very harsh accusations against God and say, well, 
you know, why did God create this whole world if there's going to be so much suffering? When this type of thing is happening, it's a sign that revival's needed in the church. And related to this is when sinners are careless about their sin. And this is very common. Most people don't even bat an eye. I you know I was thinking about this question of theft, for example. And I was thinking how many there are. I used to do this when I was younger, before I was a Christian. I was thinking about how many people download entire television series or movies on BitTorrent illegally. Or download music illegally. You know, you might be stealing small things from the grocery store because you think it's overpriced. You might be going to your school cafeteria and walking out with a box of cereal hidden in your backpack. This is all theft and you know you can even go online and read about I was just doing this last night I was reading students on a forum on the internet talking about the best way to steal food from the cafeteria without getting caught. This is carelessness about sin. It's saying that there's no conviction at all. So that's not normal. The church should be living in a in a holy enough manner that those who are not part of the church feel convicted by their sin. One example that I think of is in Guy Bevington's book, Remarkable Miracles. He talks about a family who he stayed with for several days. They weren't Christians. And the father in the family asked him if he would be willing to clean some glasses. And Bevington said, what kind of glasses do you want me to clean? And he became very ashamed, and he said, I own a saloon, so a bar, and I need you to clean some of the glasses from the bar. And this man wasn't a Christian, but he was ashamed by the fact that he owned a bar and was operating it. That should be normal. If Christians are living holy, if the church is revived, sinners should feel convicted by their sin. You know, as I come to the end of this broadcast with you, Alexandra, I can't help but wonder if you've listened to this, what are your thoughts and what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And will you become a part of revival? These meetings are happening here in Washington, D.C., Woodbridge, easy access for anybody who is serious about coming. Some are driving from Germantown, Gaithersburg. Others are coming from other parts. If you want to be a part, then take the action. Don't just say, I'd like to be a part of the revival. Come and experience it for yourself. Now, our service is held on Monday evening at 7.30. Doors open at 7 o'clock. And they're held at All Saints Anglican Church. The address is 14851. Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Now we also we also cannot do this by ourselves. We need other committed, godly men and women who want this message of holiness to go out to this city and who are willing to help cover the cost of making that happen. Are you one who's willing to help cover the cost. If you are, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can contribute online, or you can write a check and send it or send a money order or cash 
to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you're also welcome to come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. As you might expect, we are a small congregation. You're welcome to come. Our focus is Jesus and only Jesus. We meet again at the All Saints Anglican Church downstairs in their fellowship hall. Come around to the back side. Come in the bottom doors. It's ground level double glass doors. And you'll find us on your left. We begin on Sunday at 12 noon. Come and join us. If your heart is crying out for Jesus and you want revival, we invite you. 12 o'clock on Sunday, All Saints Anglican Church. Well, we're out of time for today. Thank you, Alexandra, for what you've shared. I trust this has been helpful to you. We'd like to hear from you. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. And you can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.